I'll be reading from Job chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. After this opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. And Job spake and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said, There is a man-child conceived. Let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize it upon it. Let it not be joined into the day, days of the year. Let it not come into the numbers of the month. Lo, let that night be solitary. Let not joyful voice come therein. Let them curse it that cursed the day, who are ready to raise up this morning. Let the stars of the twilight thereof be dark. Let it look for light, but have not. Neither let it see the dawning of the day, because it shut not upon the doors of my mother's womb, nor hid sorrow from mine eyes. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Why did the knees prevent me of or which the breast that I should suck? For now should I have lain still and be quiet, I should have slept, then had I been at rest. recently asked a question and that question was why do bad things happen to God's people that's a that's an important question maybe that's one we ought to think of a little more regularly there's none of us here who can't look around in in our lives or in our past lives and see something that happened to either us or others who we know who are Christians that we feel like maybe why us on February the 15th, 1947, the Avianca flight bound for Quito, Ecuador, crashed into the 14,000-foot peak of El Tablazo. The remains of that wreckage crashed into the ravine at the foot of that mountain. The passengers, the passengers of that DC-4 plane didn't know what happened. They didn't know what had hit them. They died instantly. One of the victims... Riding on that plane was a young man from New York named Glenn Chambers. Glenn Chambers had boarded that plane because he wanted to involve himself in a ministry called Voice for the Andes. He didn't make it. He didn't make it, neither did anyone else on that plane make it to their destination. But prior to boarding that plane, earlier in the day at the terminal, he wanted to write his mother a note. So he picked up a hastily picked up a piece of paper and it was a part of an advertisement and across that piece of paper was the word why written in that advertisement. Well, he was in a hurry and so he scribbled his note to his mother around that word why. He put it in an envelope, put her address on it, stuck it in the mail and boarded his plane. By the time she had received that note in the mail, she had already heard about the loss of her only son and when she opened that note, there staring up at her was the word, Why? 
Why? Of all the questions that one could ask, perhaps that is the most searching, the most tormenting, and it accompanies every single tragedy faced in this life. It falls from the lips of the mother who delivered a stillborn child. It falls from the lips of the wife who learns her of her husband's tragic death. It comes from the lips of the child who's told daddy's not coming home anymore or from the friend whose friend commits suicide. Why? That's a terrible question. Why? Why me? Why now? Terrible things happen in this life. And I don't think anything can can prepare us for such moments in life, but they do come and they will come. A lot of bad things happen to God's people. I think we have to start at the beginning if we're going to properly understand that question. I think we have to go back to the book of Genesis. God created the world all in it, all on it, and everything under it. In addition to that, He created humanity in the form of the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve. After having done that, having created a home, having created the occupants, and having created work to keep them busy, He had a discussion with them in some way, and he told them what they could do and what they could not do in that garden. One of the things he talked about was where they were to gather their food. And he said, all in the garden has been given to you to eat except for that tree, the fruit from that tree which is in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now having been created with the ability to choose, not being coerced one way or the other, they chose to eat from the fruit of that tree which was in the middle of the garden. Eve, having been tricked or deceived by the serpent, Satan in the form of a snake, and appropriately appropriately so, she ate from the tree, ate that fruit. Then her husband comes along, and when I read that, it's almost in my mind at least, she just kind of hands it over her shoulder. He takes it out of her hand and he eats it, not being deceived understanding exactly what's going on. And I can understand the desire for that when we look at that because it was a beautiful fruit. may have even been the most beautiful fruit in the garden. It looked like it would taste good and be good for food. And on top of all of that, it would make one wise. And so they ate of that fruit. Now the result was everything changed for that moment until today. Everything's changed. From that moment, Adam and Eve began to age and to get closer and closer and closer to death. Everything changed for them and for everyone who would come after them. Without access to the tree of life, people grow older and they simply pass on into eternity. Because of sin coming into the world, that happened. And because of sin coming into the world, people come up with terrible ideas and uh, bad things happen. They get sick, disease entered into the world. People began to uh, mistreat each other in this life and they began to take the lives of those around them for no, for no apparent reason. And we read about that in Genesis chapter 4, Cain killing his own brother. And so we come to this question, who's to blame for all of those things? Is God to blame for that? Is God to blame when a... Husband or wife is unfaithful to his or her spouse. Is that God's fault in some way? 
Is it God's fault when a drug addict parent beats a child to death or allows one to starve to death or mistreats one in some way? Is that God's fault? Is there any way in the world we can come up with a reason where we can lay that at the feet of God? Is God to blame when our nation alone has killed more than 50 million children from the womb since 1970 until the present? Is there any way in the world we can look at that and we can say, well, that's God's fault? Well, the answer, of course, is no. Is God to blame when socialist policies are put into place and the business owner goes out of business and and mom and dad loses their job and then you've got a a house full of kids back home and you don't know how you're going to feed them? Listen, brethren, that's not God's fault. James boldly declared something to us, and we ought to take this to heart, and we ought to think about it every single day. James 1, verse 17. He said, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God's not wishy-washy. God does what He says He will do, and He says what He will do. In contradiction to the qualities of God, I want us to notice some of the qualities of Satan. Jesus made a statement and he reminded the scribes and the Pharisees, John 8, 44. He said, you are of your father the devil. In the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. He was a murderer from the beginning. He murdered Adam and Eve through deceit. If they would have been allowed to have lived in the Garden of Eden, they would be alive today if everything had remained. But let's not be too difficult toward Adam and Eve or too harsh on Adam and Eve. If it hadn't been them, surely it would have been me. And so sin coming into the world changes things a whole lot. So only good things come from God. Well, everything else is a result of Satan, so let's blame Satan. Let's blame Satan for the bad things in this world and those who choose to do bad things. If the child who is innocent is suffering at the hands of a parent who is not what he or she ought to be, let's blame Satan for that and that mom and dad for not doing what they ought to do. Let's not blame God. Let's not lay it at God's feet. Let's put the blame where it goes. Now, that's pretty simple, isn't it? When the question is asked, why do bad things happen to God's people? Or why do bad things happen to good people? Or why do bad things happen to anybody? Let's lay the blame where it goes. Let's lay it on that individual for making a poor choice, resulting in the harm of some innocent person and themselves. And let's blame Satan for bringing sin into the world and humanity for letting it come on in. Why do bad things happen to God's people. But that really isn't what I want to consider this morning. That's a question that is often asked, and and people try to use that to deny God's deity. Uh, The problem of evil in the world. Is the world full of evil? Absolutely it's full of evil. From the top to the bottom, from the side to the other side, it's full of evil. And that's not God's fault. It's not God's problem. It's our problem. We allowed it to happen. And someone says, well, if God was all-loving and all-powerful, He wouldn't allow that to happen. So He's either not all-loving or He's not all-powerful. Well, that's absolutely incorrect. God is all-loving. He's all-powerful. But here's the thing. He's all-just and He's all-righteous and He's all-everything else that 
is a characteristic of God, He uh, is composed of that. So since He is just and righteous, He allows us to make choices in this world. He allowed Adam and Eve to do it. So it's not really a question of why do bad things happen to God's people. I want us to look at what happens after the why. After we look down and we say, why why me, why now? I want us to consider this moment, this morning for a few moments. What do we do after the why? I think that's much more important. If we have a Bible full of people who have, who faced adversity and heartache, but none more so than Job. None. No one has faced adversity and heartache in this world more than Job other than our Lord. Christ suffered more than anyone who's ever lived. But Job surely would come in second place. He lost it all. The only thing he didn't lose was his life. And that's what our Lord did lose. Every aspect of Job's life was destroyed. But yet after he asked why, and his question was, Why was I born? Why didn't I die after having been born? Why was I allowed to come into this world if all of these bad things were going to happen to me? And I don't know that anyone was more righteous or good than Job. He was the richest man of the East and and likely the most righteous man in the East. And so he asked why. Listen, there's nothing wrong with asking why. I think we ought to ask why. There's a lot of things that require a reaction in this life. But it's what happens after the why is what I want us to understand a little better today. And I want us to begin with... Job's tragedies. Job's tragedies. That's our first point. Job had trouble. He had the tragedy of trouble. He lost family, fortune, fitness, and friends. What else could fit into that? That's it, isn't it? Life. He he held on to a thread of life. And I don't think when we look at life, though, anyone leaves life untouched or unscathed. From trouble, That's one of the tragedies of this life. And let's blame Satan for that. Job himself said, Job 5 verse 7, Yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. He made a statement that we're a little more familiar with. Job 14 verse 1, he said, Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Trouble. Job had trouble. He had the tragedy of trouble, and it was the wise man who warned this. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes 2, verse 17. He said, Therefore I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of the Spirit. For all the works wrought under, or created, or or worked in this world. That's what we're talking about when... Solomon often used that phrase, under the sun. He's talking about things in this world. We live under the sun. All the sinful things. He said, it's vanity, it's emptiness. It doesn't mean anything in this life. And I hated life because of it. And he ought to know. He spent a great lot of his life living in vain, following after sinful things. Wine, women, in song. We hear that a lot, don't we? Well, he's a poster child for that. Wine, women, and song. Most of the trouble which comes our way in this life, listen now, I think this is very important, is self-inflicted. Not always. Not everyone uh, has the tragedy of trouble and it's self-inflicted. Again, innocent 
is punished a lot of the time because sin makes makes its way into their life through someone else, right? The parent who mistreats a child, that child's innocent, but sin still has affected that life. Trouble and suffering is rampant, and we should blame Satan as a source and do all that we can to ensure we do not let him win in this life. If he wins in this life, we lose in the next. So we see the tragedy of trouble that Job endured. Now I want to also notice he had some trials too, didn't he? He had some trials he had to go through. Trials will do one of two things to us. It'll either cause us to run away from God or cause us to run to God. There's really no middle ground when it comes to that. If we understand, though, that God is in control, we'll go toward God. Job understood that. He didn't understand why things were happening in his life, and he certainly didn't understand where the source of it was. He thought God was doing it to him, but he still honored God as righteous. But he still went toward God. He understood that God needed to be honored. Notice what Paul said, Romans 8, verse 28. We're familiar with this passage. He said, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose, or are the called. Now, we need to understand what Paul meant when he said that. Sometimes the best way to figure out what something means is to determine what it doesn't mean. Here's what Paul didn't mean. He didn't mean that everything that happens in this life is sanctioned by God and that God wanted it to happen. Have you ever heard someone say uh, uh, an individual loses a life and just say, well, God had a better plan? You ever heard that? Man, that's I hear that all the time. Maybe not necessarily with the people around uh, with whom I interact that much with, but you hear it on TV, you hear it on the radio, you hear people all the time, you read about it. Well, God had a greater plan. He took so-and-so. God didn't take anybody. God didn't want the young family to be killed in a drunken wreck because someone he got drunk and, and uh, uh, run him out of the road. I did a funeral one time for a young mother who was 37. She had her young boy in the car with her who was 10 or 11 years old. Her mom and dad were faithful Christians. She was an erring Christian. Did, do we? Does anybody think that God wanted that mother to be killed in that car wreck? Well, he had a greater purpose. God didn't have a greater purpose that was fulfilled in her dying in a car wreck. He had a greater purpose that she would come back to the church before she lost her life. That was his greater purpose. But that's not what Paul meant. Everything that happens is not God-ordained. So here's what he did mean. Notice what he said. He said, All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Who is it that loves God? Well, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, John fourteen fifteen. Those who love God keep God's commandments. In other words, they're obedient to God. If we love God, we'll be obedient to God. We're talking about Christians. So do things work out in this life for the good to Christians? Yeah, it doesn't matter what happens in this life. Ultimately, it works out for the good to His purpose. What's his purpose? We go to Ephesians 3 verse 11 and we learn the eternal purpose of God manifests itself in Christ Jesus 
And we know what his purpose was, to seek and to save that which was lost. Those who are saved, doesn't matter what happens in this world, it'll work out for the good because in the next, we'll be in heaven eternally. That's exactly what Paul meant. Job understood that. Take away his health. Take away everything he's got. He'll still be in heaven one day. Anyone who chooses to obey the gospel can be part of that chosen through faith and repentance. Believing who Jesus is, John 8, 24. See, we live under the Christian dispensation. Job was a patriarch. He he offered sacrifice himself. Then we move into the uh, Mosaic law, and then there was a priest who offered sacrifice. Now, we're in a... In the Christian age, we offer the sacrifice of the fruit of our lips, the writer of Hebrews said. We live in such a way that we are a living sacrifice, Paul said. So we believe Jesus is who He said He was. We repent of past sins. That means we want to change our lives to fit God's life. Right? That's repentance. Luke thirteen three. We make the confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, when Jesus made a statement in Matthew 10, verse 31, 32... If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. He wasn't talking about the confession we make before we're baptized, but there is an application there. We have to make that confession just like the Ethiopian eunuch did. Acts eight thirty seven. Go down into the water just like Philip and the eunuch did. Be baptized. Come up to walk in a new life and then live that confession. And, and, and that means living faithfully until our time is over. See, Job understood that. We see that in Job's life, don't we? He had a different mode of salvation. But he still had to have faith. He was saved because of God's grace through his faith in godly works. We're saved the same way. It's just a different mode. But Job had to face trials. I think a great many people allow the trials of life to turn them away from God. They answer their why or they react to their why with anger. They become upset because they feel like God should have stopped their why from happening. It's not God's fault. It's not God's fault. There are certain laws in this world that affect us when we break them. Natural laws, right? You step out in front of a vehicle. Listen, that's not God's fault. You overdose on drugs. Look, that's not God's fault. You kill someone. And then there is repercussion of that, uh, the death penalty according to Romans 13. That's not God's fault. Has anyone ever suffered at the hands of, of some person and say, why? Well, God didn't cause that person to do that. So we need to react the way Job did by drawing closer. Job faced tragedy. But I want us to notice too, and this will help us understand how he reacted to his why. He faced some temptation. He faced the same temptations that we face in this life when we're faced with why. Job could have condemned God for what was happening to him. He could have laid that at God's feet, couldn't he? He could have hung that around God's neck. He could have become so frustrated with his friends who came to, quote, comfort him that he would have blamed God for that. He could have become so frustrated with his wife, he could have blamed God for that. But that's not what he did. He didn't do that at all. But here's one thing that temptation and tragedy and all those things, they will reveal to us a lot of the time the character of those people around us, won't they? It'll reveal to us our own character and to those around us. And that's what happened to Job. 
Again, Job 2 verse 11, he had these friends who came to, quote friends, who came to comfort him. I want us to notice them for just a moment. The first man was Eliphaz. I call him a man of experience. He was one of those people who'd seen it all and done it all. If you did something, he did it bigger and better. If you suffered, he suffered more and worse. Have we ever known anyone like that in this world? I went to school with a fella. I'm telling you, it was kind of a running joke. We'd just make up stuff that, that we claimed to have done just to see what his reaction was. You know, if you said, I scaled the Empire State Building, he scaled some other building somewhere that was uh, twice as tall. You know, it's just ridiculous stuff. Eliphaz was, was like that. Now, how much comfort did Job receive from that fella? In this life, sometimes our friends, even those who are our true friends, they don't really know how to comfort us, right? They don't know how to comfort They may not have experienced what we experienced. That doesn't mean they can't feel for us, they can't love us, but they don't really know how to, to, to comfort us. But there is someone who does. Job talked about that person. He talked about the daysman, his mediator, and it was Jesus who said, Hebrews thirteen five that he would never leave us nor forsake us. But then we have the man called Bildad. I call him the man with the explanation. He had to answer. You know what he told Job? Job 8 verse 2. In essence, he said, Job, you're a windbag. How long are you going to keep talking with the gust of a strong wind? Just shut up, Job. You're making all that up. You're a windbag. That's what he meant. He told Job, he said, all these bad things are happening to you because of what you did. You're a bad guy. Chapter 8. How much comfort did he receive from his good friend Bildad? Then you have Zophar. He came along. He was a man who was willing to give his estimation of what was happening. He looked at the situation and he simply told Job, he said, you need to repent, Job. Now he left out from what Job needed to repent. But obviously Job had done something in his estimation and his relationship with God needed to be repaired. Again, how much comfort is in that? In fact, if we look in Job 11, verses 1 through 7, he told Job, he said, you're not even getting what you deserve. You're getting off easy, Job. So why don't you go ahead and repent? Then we come to the man Elihu. This man was willing to express how he felt to everybody else in the group. He was just simply angry. He was just angry with everybody. He told them they were all wrong. Now, he was right in that those other men who came to comfort Job, they were wrong, but he left out something. He left out about how he was wrong. Do you know how he told Job he got his information? He received some information from God, and he said, if you'll listen to me, Job, I'll impart some wisdom to you. He received his information from God as a, as a faint voice in the night. I've heard that in our day. A faint voice in the night. God spoke to him directly. And he was going to impart some wisdom to Job. You know, it took him five chapters to talk about how good and great and honorable and just God is and how sorry Job was. But he didn't comfort Job with either the truths of God's personality or the lies he spoke. Those are the friends that came to him. He could have condemned God. You know, I feel like if I'd been sitting there, I'd just had enough. 
And he could have thrown every bit of that on God, but he didn't. Then he had the temptation of cursing God. He could have done what his wife asked him. Curse God and die. Get out of here. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to suffer like this. You know, I think we can be a little harsh on Job's wife, but Job's wife also lost everything she had. Job's wife also lost her children. Job's wife watched her husband. I'm sure she felt like dying right in front of her. But she asked him, she said, why don't you just curse God and die? He could have adopted that attitude, but he didn't. In fact, he didn't react with bitterness toward his tragedy and his temptations. You know, how often do we see that in the world? People react with bitterness. Loved ones die. Financial woes come. Bad things happen in this life, and they become bitter inside, and it just eats them alive and eats them up and makes them hollow, and they're just really a shell of a person that they were before that. We all have the the power to create bitterness in this life, don't we? If we do not maintain the proper perspective. So let's, let's notice some things that happened to Job. Let's try to maintain the proper perspective. Job, someone comes to his home, a servant. He said, Job, you've lost your livestock. They've been stolen. He said, your sheep and your camels have been destroyed. Your employees were murdered. And oh yeah, Job, your children were destroyed by a freak windstorm. Yeah, that's right, all ten of them. Job received every bit of that information in a, in a panic moment of time. He wasn't being able to make any sense out of that with just one of those tragedies, let alone all of those tragedies. That's the perspective right there. We've all lost something in this life, but I don't know that any of us have lost everything in this life. Job did. That happened to the Job man, to the man Job. And he maintained his love for God. That's how Job responded to his why. He asked why. He asked why. Immediately after that happened, we read about it in chapters 1 and 2, immediately right after that, recorded in chapter 3, he said, Why was I even born? If these bad things were going to happen. You know how he responded to his wife? After all those things happened, he broke out in boils all over him. He was miserable. He was grief stricken. He was stunned. He was bankrupt. He was in pain physically and spiritually. Had a total loss to understand what happened. And his wife says, well curse God and die and get out of this. He said, you sound like a fool. You sound like a fool. That's the world, isn't it? Again, let's not be too hard on Miss Job. Because she suffered all the things Job suffered. But wisely, he asked this question. He said, shall we accept only good from God and never adversity? And he understood that, didn't he? Now, he didn't understand God wasn't the source. He thought God was the source. God wasn't the source. Let's blame Satan for what happened to Job. Job came to understand that. God doesn't bring trials upon us, but He surely expects us to grow from them, doesn't He? Notice what James said, James 1, beginning with verse 2. He said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting at nothing. 
If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. That statement is amazing. I don't know any other way to describe it. Job needed wisdom. Who'd Job go to? <laughs> Job went to God. He didn't go to his good friends. He didn't go to his distraught wife. He went to God. He needed wisdom, and God gives it liberally. And not at, not at no time did he blame God for what was happening. Job faced tragedy. He faced temptation. But ultimately, because of his reaction to why, he enjoyed triumph. He realized the victory lies in God. No matter what else happened, he didn't understand a lot of things, but he knew that. And he stuck with it after our why. We need to realize that same thing. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 57, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In his realization, he worshiped God. He honored God. And he treated God the way he ought to be treated. And that was his reaction to why. And because of that, Job was restored. Job was restored. He received twice as much as he started with. In fact, he was blessed with ten more children, wasn't he? Listen, the things we will receive in eternity is far greater than things we could ever lose or fear of losing in this life. And Job understood that. John described heaven for us in the Revelation. We just finished up that study some time back. He discovered... Or he discussed how the, the walls of the city were made of precious gems. Each one of the, the gates of twelve were a, an amazing pearl. He talked about the city of gold, and down the middle of the city of gold was a road or a street of gold. On either side of that street was the rivers of water, the rivers of life flowing, and on either side of those banks of those rivers were lined with the trees of life. Nothing is greater than that. Nothing compares to what God can give us. And then Job reflected. We know he reflected because let's notice what he named his daughters. Out of the ten children, he was blessed with three daughters, the most beautiful women around. And he gave them some names. We're told their names were, the name of one was Hamima. Her name means day or dove. And it, indicates that God gave Job day in place of his night. You know, he asked for darkness. He received light. He received peace in place of his turmoil. The other one's name was Keziah. means fragrance, indicating that, that God replaced Job's sorrow with the sweet smell of his grace. The third daughter's name was Karen Hapuk. Her name simply means a box of eye paint. That's an odd name when we begin to think about that, but that's the exact same word used to describe Moses. When he walked down off of the mountain and his face was shining with the glory of God. See, Job's night was taken away. And the idea is that Job praised God for replacing his wretchedness with glory. All the anguish, the sudden loneliness, the tragic loss of life, destruction of home, family, loss of finances... You fill in the blank. All of those things require a reaction from us. So it doesn't 
really matter the why. It's our response after we ask why. Because we're going to ask why. Nothing wrong with that. But how do we respond after that? Job answered like a true man of God. He honored God. He remained faithful. Never allow the whys of this life drive us from God's side. We have someone with us when we face the terrible things of this life. And we can follow the example of Job, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, just as he followed the example of God. Paul said that, follow me as I follow Christ. Let's use Job for our example. Why do bad things happen to God's people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen in life, period? Well, let's blame Satan and those of us who make poor decisions. That's the answer, isn't it? But that really doesn't matter. How do we respond to the why? You need to answer the Lord's invitation today. We've talked about how to become a Christian. If you've done that and you need to come back, maybe the whys of this life has separated you from God, don't leave here in that situation. We'll pray with you and for you. Repent of those sins. Confess them publicly if necessary. If not, confess them to God. Ask Him to forgive you privately and He will. If you need to answer, let that be known as we stand together and as we sing.